Hi, this is Andrew coming to you with episode one of Recruit Graduation Podcast. And today we're excited to have Dwayne Stanley, a United States Navy veteran, on with us to tell us a little bit about his career in the Navy and maybe get some insights to some families who have loved ones at Recruit Boot Camp right now. So welcome everyone to episode one and welcome Dwayne. How are you? Good, Andrew. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So Dwayne and I met, um, we've never met in person, but we met over one of my, one of our Facebook groups, uh, Recruit Graduation, and he's part of our Navy private group. And he was gracious enough to be um, admin and a moderator and has just brought so much insight to our families. And I think, Dwayne, we're about over a thousand members right now. Yes. Yep. Almost. Well, I think we're over 1100 this afternoon. Oh, wow. So it's been growing, especially the last couple of weeks have really been, uh, you know, a lot of disappointment and sadness with the families and a lot of confusion, lack of information. So, you know, between myself and Dwayne and some, a couple of other of our teammates, we've really been able to, to work with the families and try to give them up-to-date information. But today, you know, I want to introduce Dwayne. And like I said, Dwayne is a veteran of the Navy. Uh, now you are a native of Marquette, Michigan, correct? Yes, I am and a that's where uh, you full-fledged youper. Y-O-O-P-E-R. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and you enlisted from there in 1970 in the delayed enlistment program. Tell us a little bit about what that program is. Um, actually, I was in the delayed enlistment nuclear program. And what that allows you to do is to delay your enlistment up to 90 days. And my recruiter was actually the person who suggested that I go in the delayed enlistment program. And the reason he did that is I enlisted and took the oath of office on December 20th in 1970. And he said, why don't you stay with your family, celebrate the holidays, and then come down for boot camp uh, sometime in January. So I went on to um, recruit training command on uh, January 27th in uh, 1971. All right. So that was that a Christmas present to your parents? Like, Merry Christmas, I'm joining the Navy. Yeah, yeah the recruiter was, uh, was pretty good about that. That was pretty yeah. decent of him. So the delayed enlistment program, so probably many of you listening uh, refer to it as DEP. Is that correct? The DEP that's correct. Okay. So probably a lot of change has changed between, you know, that 1970 enlistment and today, but probably a lot of it is the same. You know, we have a lot of families that have recruits there right now. Uh, a lot of the terminology and a lot of the things really confusing for them. Can you give a little insight to what, you know, you went through and maybe what some of their recruits are going through right now? Uh, yeah. Um, actually, what happened was once I got down to recruit training command, in Great Lakes, uh, went through the processing days, just like they're going through uh, today. And as we were going through the processing days um, during my dental appointment, um, they I, they recognized, the dentist recognized that I had a lot of silver fillings in my mouth. As a matter of fact, most all of my molars were with silver fillings. Mm. And uh, of that, they would have had to take all those silver fillings out and replace it with porcelain fillings. And the reason being is at the time, there was only um, two surface craft that were nuclear aircraft, uh, nuclear carriers. And, mm -hmm. um, and so 
a majority of the nukes were sent to subs. And in subservice, they can't have silver fillings because there's air that gets trapped in the uh, silver fillings. And um, so I would have had a lot of poon. And uh, so I actually washed out of the nuke program because of that. So while I was there in the recruit training command, they redid my contract to a, a four-year active and two-year inactive. It was originally uh, an eight-year contract, six years uh, active and two years inactive. Okay. So that was I, you know, yeah, it, it, just speaking of medical, when I was enlisted as a crew chief, I showed up to Pensacola. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting that, you know, they don't do a lot of this pre-screening, and that's always been a little confusing to me uh, before they get you into the contract. But when I got there and did my eye test, all of a sudden they said, one of my eyes wasn't good enough to fly in helicopters. <laughs> so I was thinking, why didn't you tell me this before you brought me all the way to Pensacola? So, but the guy did the test again, and then he decided I only really needed one good eye to fly in helicopters. So <laughs> they let me go through. Um, but one thing I, I found interesting is that you were on the USS Tripoli as a machinist yeah. mate. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what a machinist mate is and maybe some of the different rates for the families? Yeah, there's 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 several levels of machinist mates. Um, a majority of the machinist mates are uh, actually work on um, the the turbines that um, the propel the ship through the water. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's the group I was in. Uh, I went from boot camp to A school to C school, and my C school was in air conditioning refrigeration and the hydraulics. So when I went to my first ship, um, they didn't have anybody on there that had any uh, air conditioning and refrigeration background. And the Tripoli was having problems with um, air conditioning. And on top of it, they were in uh, the Western Pacific. So it was the, near the equator. So it was pretty warm. So I got an opportunity to um, uh, work on their air conditioning plants and get them up and running. So um, amazing. As I, the, the 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 people that actually work the machinist mates that actually work in the in the engine room um, and they're a part of M division and then there's the machinist mates and engine men that work in they call it A gang it's actually A division so I was in A division um, the departments the department we were in was engineering department. So uh, let's see, there's also the deck department. Well, there's uh, commissary department. Uh, there's personnel. Now, these, these ships, uh, I, was, I was talking to a mom the other day. These ships have thousands of people on them, correct? I mean, they, they're literal, literally a, a, a floating city. The, the, the Tripoli the um, was an aircraft. It, it's been decommissioned. It was uh, in the Gator Navy. The Gator Navy has Marines and um, and sailors, U.S. Navy or, uh, sailors, yes. And actually, on the Tripoli, we had about 700 sailors and between 1,500 and 2,000 Marines. Okay. And our primary primary mission while we were uh, in the Western Pacific was to take Marines from Okinawa 
and transport them to Vietnam because the Vietnam War was on, and then pick up another group of Marines that were in Vietnam and bring them back to Okinawa. So that was our primary goal. And that had to be just an incredible time in history and in a young person's life to be to have that Absolutely. much responsibility. I mean, that's the, and you know, when I joined the Marine Corps, they said the Navy does two things, Marines. They pay you and they're your taxi. So be nice to them. So, <laughs> so I'm sure those Marines back then were very thankful when you guys pulled up to, to definitely take them back to Liberty. And so, but you, you that wasn't your first ship. You, you went from the Tripoli over to a second. Uh, yes, the USS Thomas then. LSD-28. And the difference between uh, the two ships was the uh, Tripoli had helicopters uh, on it, and the Thomaston had um, what's called a whale deck below. And what it actually did was sink into the water, and then there were boats in the whale deck that came out and transported the Marines from the ship to shore. Now, that ship actually got very close to the shore in Vietnam. So, and, and, to and, and to kind of give an idea to the folks listening, you know, the, those LSDs, you know, that's what we see kind of in the, in the common movie, right? Anytime we watch those, yes. you know, yeah, those are the, those boats that are, they're going out and uh, carrying the Marines are open, right? Open top. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, you know, when I flew in, in Hueys is what I flew in, and they were probably new Hueys when you were in the Navy. I was flying, actually, you know, however many decades later in some of those same aircraft. But I landed on one aircraft carrier one time, and that was not a pleasant experience. So <laughs> um, I think they ended up taking me into the into the officer pilot you know area and uh, gave me some fruit to relax my stomach. But you don't realize how... Um, much those ships move up and down until you're actually on them. I think most people think ships just kind of cruise along, but there is a lot of, of turbulence, I guess. I'm not sure what you, the, the terminology you guys use. Yeah, there is. Um, one of the positions that's kind of, was kind of uh, interesting, let me put it that way, uh, was um, the aviation there's a, there's a person that has to kind of sit out there and kind of direct um, the the helicopter down and kind of give them a feel for um, how they are relative to the deck. So what they do is they put their hands out to their side, their arms out to their side, right? And then they kind of move right or left or to give the pilot kind of a feel for how they are relative to the deck because they want to be parallel. So when they land, right? Now, the interesting part of that is during night ops, mm. nighttime operations, right? Because of the fact that you can't see them, right? Unless you put lights on them. So these people that did the direction, they had like Christmas tree lights down their arms, down their body. So you can imagine you're off the coast of Vietnam and you flip a switch and you're a Christmas tree. Um, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Pretty, uh, amazing. And I'm sure those were the, the, the young enlisted folks that, uh, so yeah, I yes, do remember were, I, 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 I've done some night ops and helicopters and we'd have NVGs. So night, you know, vision goggles. 
And my job was to tell the pilot how close we were to the deck or to the ground. Mm -hmm. And when you have NVGs, there's this depth uh, perception. And uh, so I would be 25 feet, 15 feet, 10 feet, and then we hit the ground. <laughs> so, yeah. Oops, sorry. You know, so so I can just imagine on that on on a boat, you know, it going up and down, the helicopter trying to land, and so. Um, and then you 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 honorably discharged in 1976, and then you spent a lot of time in in government and federal work. Yes, right after I got out of the um, the Navy, I went to work for the Federal Aviation Administration. Started off as a maintenance mechanic because of my um, background in the Navy, and then moved um, just through a bunch of training and stuff into um, the role of electronics technician. Okay. And my my group um, that I belong to, we took care of. Uh, what's referred to as nav aids. Those are the, <clears throat> the electronic equipment that help the pilot uh, find the center line of the runway and come down on the glide path. So that, that was our responsibility. Also, we worked on uh, VORs, which helped them navigate between airports. You know, I think a lot of family members worry about their loved ones that go into any branch, actually, you know, what, what is, how are they going to transition out back into the civilian world? And it sounds like you, you know, made what we call kind of a crosswalk, you know, you had that career opportunity in, in the Navy, and then you found that same matching career on the outside. Um, did you think about that during your time in the military, like how you were going to transition out? Or was it something that you just expected that's what you would do and get into the same work? How did you go about, you know, deciding that? Actually, when I was in the when I was in the Navy, um, I uh, studied everything I could in my in, in my position as a machinist mate because I knew on the outside, if nothing else, um, I could go to work in like a power production plant. Um, as an operator there. And so um, that helped me uh, feel somewhat secure in leaving the Navy because I, I had some friends, you know, that that's one of the reasons they, they re-enlisted was they just didn't quite feel completely comfortable with leaving uh, the Navy. And in, t tell us where you are today. So obviously you're a veteran and tell us where you're living and how you're continuing to give back to the Navy community. Yeah, um, I live in uh, Dallas, Texas. I went back to Marquette. I lived there until I was uh, 40 years old. And then I, I moved uh, as a part of my job with American Airlines down to Dallas to their headquarters. And we've been living here, um, let's see, it would be 28 years. Yeah, almost 30 years now. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been involved with um, the uh, military, um, helping out, um, supporting uh, returning veterans, I'm sorry, returning soldiers and that sort of thing through different um, organizations here in Dallas. 
And then um, I started about a year, year and a half ago, um, spending a lot of time um, with the recruits and recruit training command and <clears throat> got involved with some of the families in that. And I found that out of all the experiences I've had with the veterans groups and everything that that has really been a good, <clears throat> good place to focus because uh, um, the, the parents um, need a lot of support. Once, once um, they're out in the fleet and, you know, they've been out there for a while and, and that sort of thing, um, it's different than when they leave home and uh, they venture out into, into uh, the military for the first few months, actually the first year or so. Well, you, you've been an amazing um, asset, you know, just for just for me. And I thank you for that, for helping me. Uh, and I feel a little guilty that, you know, you know, you're not on payroll or anything. And I remember asking you, like, you know, what can I help me <laughs> do to compensate you? And you were like, no, 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 you know, this is this is what I want to do. I volunteer. And, and and that is just an incredible attitude to have. And you, you don't realize because right now, you know, and I kind of want to transition into where we are today and what are the things, you know, for our listeners, you know, I have a travel agency and we work with the military families, try to help them book, you know, the right tickets and, and the hotels and make sure they're doing it all correctly. And when, you know, the situation that we're currently in here, March 19th, 2020, you know, there's no travel, you know, graduations have been canceled. So we've really transitioned into really a support system and being able to help these families, you know, inspire them, keep them encouraged, but also provide them, you know, reliable information. And so, you know, Dwayne, you know, you have been just amazing and you jumped right in. And I, sometimes I send you messages and give you start micromanaging, you know, like, here's how you do this. And Dwayne's always, you know, kids back in, if I need your help, I'll ask you. So, um, so Dwayne, you're amazing. And so, you know, all that to say, you know, what can you tell the parents? You know, I know that all day, you know, we're answering questions on Facebook. And like you said, there's over 1,100 families on there right now. What is it that, you know, you could tell them, you know, those who are listening right now about this, this sensitive, fragile moment that we're in? Well, being from, from um, the other side, from the recruit side, um, Every recruit, I think, the first few days in boot camp asks themselves, geez, what have I got myself into? And I know um, until I got that first letter from home, I was kind of in that state. I had a really good, now they call them recruit divisional commanders. Back in my day, they called them company commanders. I had a really good company commander, but still... You know, you you really need that support from home, and I I think that's a really important part of any <clears throat> new recruit's um, life, and I think that's the thing um, the people back home can really really help them out with, because mm -hmm. um, they are they are under a lot of stress both physically and mentally. And, and that's just to, for the Navy to figure out, you know, if, if this person is really um, best, best suited 
for this type of, of work. And so um, that support from home really makes a big difference. And uh, from, from other folks, you know, like um, our group supporting them, the, the parents and their friends and everything to help yeah, them yeah. Bolster, bolster up their support for their recruit. That, that is the amazing part about the family on that Facebook group. That, I'm just really blown away. I mean, we went from like 10 people to a thousand in two weeks. And just to see that communication and then, you know, all of them becoming our friends, you know, and, you know, I do a lot of uh, Facebook live streaming and I'll, I'll invite a lot of our families to get on Zoom. So I do get to see them face to face as well as you do. Um, and it's just their personalities are just amazing and then and, and there's not a lot of complaining there's definitely some dis, dis, you know disappointment and sadness but you know really positive environment that we've been involved in so but i wanted to just you know thank Dwayne again and i know that a lot of veterans don't like to have all their citations mentioned but you know i do want to say that you know Dwayne is a decorated veteran he's got the national defense service medal the vietnam service medal with one bronze star the Republic of Vietnam Campaign Medal and the Philippine Presidential Unit Citation. And so I know that probably means nothing to our listeners, but they can look that up. Um, so you gave a lot of your life to to protect our country, uh, to serve our country. And now you're continuing that being a volunteer and working with us and other organizations. So I just want to thank you, Dwayne, so much for for being just Thank an you. amazing human being. <laughs> so, um, so, and we look forward to the, the upcoming weeks. And so, but we'll, uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to this first episode and probably a little choppy and we'll get better at it. And tomorrow we're going to have an amazing guest on. She's a Navy mom from Alabama and I cannot wait to talk to her. She is so amazing. Thank you everybody. Thank you, Dwayne and have an awesome night.